flies will cluster together. But if we mutate a few genes and try to replicate some aspects of human autism, actually flies will stand further apart. Fellow Homo sapiens, in this week's Epilepsy Sparks Insights podcast, we have for you a very unique to the show so far topic, that being epilepsy research using fruit flies. Richard Baines from the Fly Facility at the University of Manchester, a professor and basic scientist, tells us all about why fruit flies are amazing and how they enable us to understand so much more about the human brain. Part two of two next week shall feature Richard telling us about his current epilepsy studies using the fruit fly and what has been learnt. I'm uh, Richard Baines. I'm a professor and also the head of neuroscience at the University of Manchester. I've been a, a neuroscientist for more years than I can remember. Um, I'm a, what's called a basic scientist, so I like to study how the brain works. And I don't start out with any specific ideas in mind, so I've never started out to say I'm going to cure a disease or develop a drug or do something with a specific endpoint. Basic scientists generate ideas, we understand, we look into basic mechanisms to work out how they work. And if you know how something works, then you can translate that into something useful that impacts society. So um, for many years, I've studied how the brain maintains stability of function. And why, I suppose, and why it doesn't maintain stability of function as well. Well, exactly. So, you know, let's just think about the human brain. So 80 Mm -hmm. billion nerve cells. Each of them talks to at least a thousand other nerve cells. So that's a huge complex web. We're learning new things all the time. We're aging, we're losing neurons. Sometimes we bang our heads. Sometimes we uh, have a disease that changes certain aspects of our brain. And so the brain has to compensate continually for all of that. And it has what we call homeostatic mechanisms to constantly measure and change its activity levels to maintain stability. And, you know, for the vast majority of us, it does a very good job because, you know, we live a hundred years or so and our brains perform pretty well throughout that period, even though things are really dynamic. They're changing all the time inside our brains. You know, it's not a stable uh, state. So I understand that you have or you work in the fly lab and it sounded quite shocking to me at first. Uh, I have to say I don't have the uh, the highest... Um, opinion on flies which is probably an awful thing from an evolutionary perspective <laughs> but also um and what the place that what they play in um the food chain but please tell us more about the benefits of working with flies and what you do with them and actually how great they are yeah so no i'm a, a big advocate of flies as you'll tell from this <laughs> um so you know the first thing to really be aware of is the nervous system has only evolved once So we all share the same principal components that make up a nervous system. So, you know, a good analogy is perhaps taking your iPhone apart to understand how a supercomputer works. The same sorts of components are in there. It's just a matter of scale that differs. So insects, and, you know, I started out 30 more years ago studying things like locusts. So they have simple nervous systems in terms of number. So rather than 80 billion nerve cells, they may have a million. So that's a massive reduction. Their nerve cells are also quite big. And importantly, we can identify each cell and give it a name. 
because there's so few of them, relatively speaking. Yeah. That means we can go back to the same nerve cell time after time after time and build up an understanding of that nerve cell. Whereas 80 billion nerve cells in the brain, you can't do that. Right. So advance 20 something years to the human genome project, which is starting to struggle. And you may recall that Drosophila became a sort of testbed. Can we sequence a complex animal like Drosophila? And we did. So what it means is we have now in Drosophila, which is the fruit fly, a simple nervous system in terms of number, but it works exactly the same way as a human brain. But add on top of that, we can now manipulate the genetic background of cells at will. So we can manipulate how genes work in different nerve cells. We can knock genes out. We can put in disease-related genes, which we find in humans, and ask the question, what does this do for brain function? What can we learn about it? And importantly, how can we translate that information into clinical relevance for humans? When he first told me about this, I was just like shocked and well, horrifically, horrifically evidently ignorant about, um, although I was going to say the complexity of flies, although you said, of course, they have a far fewer number of neurons and connections, but I think you said that they experience emotion or something like that. Or am I making that bit up? Well, in, in some ways, well, we sort of, you know, put our own feelings onto anything we look at, don't we? Um, but we have models of social interaction in flies. So they have a very rich repertoire of social interaction. So adult flies, the male will sing to the female before uh, it tries to court her. And if it gets any of the sequence wrong, she wanders away. <laughs> Bad chat up line, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So flies will cluster together. But if we mutate a few genes and try to replicate some aspects of human autism, actually flies will stand further apart. Um, we can also um, look at things like depression and aggression, which are sort of emotions in flies. So we can manipulate genes to make flies more aggressive. And in fact, you know, there's a good argument now that human aggression may well have a genetic basis. And depression, um, you know, when do, when do you give up on a task, which is how we sort of discovered antidepressant drugs. The longer you keep going, the better the drug might be. And flies are the same. We can put them in situations where they can't really better their position. And you wait to see how long it is before they give up. Why use flies, um, the specific type of fly for research instead of rodents or other types of animals? In many ways, it's not instead of, I think it's together with. Okay. So things like the fruit fly, but you could also argue, you know, there's other people using uh, these little nematode worms called C. elegans or the uh, tiny little fish called zebrafish. They're all very useful genetic model organisms. It means we can manipulate the genes that make up a, a body and we can understand how those genes work and how they don't work when they have mutations in them. So the fly uh, is part of that package. And in many ways, what using these model systems, as we call them, allows us to do is test ideas. So we can do a lot of work very quickly. We can generate multiple hundreds and thousands of these animals in small spaces, so cheap to keep. Um, don't need lots of, uh, you know, space to keep large numbers. Quick turnover time, which is great for genetics because you always need the offspring. So um, what we can do is sort of use them as living test tubes. We can experiment, we can ask questions, and if we get good answers, 
that then allows us to take the best answers to cherry pick, if you like, into the next stage of the translational pipeline, which are things like mice, uh, perhaps rats. And if it works in those systems and you learn a little bit more about the mammalian uh, environment, then we start to think about preclinical testing and clinical trials in humans. So it's part of a, a spectrum, if you like, of basic fruit of a clinical research. You don't actually attach anything to the, to the fly to cause a seizure, is that correct? There the are two ways really to cause a seizure, I guess. The first is to take what we might call a wild type animal, a fly or a mouse. This is a normal, you know, a genetically normal animal. It will not have seizures. And you feed it a drug to induce seizures. The second way of doing it is to take a genetically modified animal which has a gene mutation that makes it prone to spontaneous seizures. And that's much more equivalent to the genetic forms of human epilepsy. So we can mutate the same genes as in a human, in either the mouse or the fly, and it will show seizures. You don't have to stimulate anything, they just come on anyway because of the gene. In the fly, it's a little bit harder. There's one or two mutations that show some spontaneous seizures. But mostly what we do is we encourage the seizure activity just by putting the flies in plastic tubes and we shake them a little bit. And insects are covered in sensory hairs, thousands of them. And that shaking stimulates all of those hairs simultaneously and overloads the nervous system. Why don't more scientists actually and researchers use fruit flies for research? Why, why do they often seem to go straight to rodents? Well, there's a lot of us actually. Um, okay. I go to conferences just on the fly nervous system and there's regularly four to 500 of us. We never hear about this. This is amazing. So many thousands across the world. Um, other people use flies to study evolution, to study how animals navigate and robotics because of simple nervous systems. You know, if you're going to design a, uh, a robot, you don't want a complicated program. Um, so there actually are quite a lot. Okay, probably many, many more mammalian people. It's just that I think there's a little bit of a, a naive view that if you want to study a human, you should study a mammal. And I think that's true to some respect, but actually you can do a lot of the basic groundwork in any system because there's only one nervous system and only one body. So, you know, inside a fly, there's the equivalent of liver and kidneys. There's a gut, there's a heart, there's muscle. You know, that fly has legs, it has to move, it's got eyes, it has to see, it has to be able to smell, hear, it does everything we do. And I never thought of either of flies having an epilepsy. Like they, you literally cause them to have seizures, right? Yes, we can uh, see seizures in flies and we can do that uh, either perhaps by uh, feeding the, the fly various what we call pro-convulsant drugs. And these are the same drugs which mammalian people would feed the mice to induce seizures. But we can also use genetic mutations. So the fly will harbor a specific mutation in a gene which will make it more prone to having a seizure. And that's where the interest really comes in because most of those genes, when mutated in humans, give rise to epilepsy. So it's the same genes, same effect. And you know, remarkably, if you feed flies the drugs that we give to humans in epilepsy clinics you see the same benefits 
So even though that fly looks really different to you on the outside, and in fact, you know, the seizure activity is a little bit different. You have to sort of look for specifics, but the fact that it's treated by the same drugs that humans are treated by shows you on the inside there's a lot of similarities. Amazing. I, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm ever going to look at anybody using a fly swat or one of those sticky strips in the same way again. Yeah, no, I, I, I try to discourage people from doing that. And, you know, fruit flies you'll find in your homes buzzing around your fruit bowl, particularly in summer. There's a lot of Drosophila species. There's, a, I think, a thousand Drosophila species in the UK alone. Wow. We use one type called Drosophila melanogaster, the vinegar fly. Um, the choice of fly was by accident, a lab back in about 1890 working in New York happened to have an orchard nearby and just collected flies to start looking at hereditary and chromosomes and stuff. And it happened to be melanogaster. And there's some very good books out there if people are interested. You know, if you type in Drosophila melanogaster into your favorite online bookseller, there's some really good books. If you are interested, um, just Google Manchester Fly Facility. Mm-hmm. We'll put the link actually but, uh, yeah, on the website about this, yes. Huge amounts there, including a YouTube video tour, so you can see what they look like. Thank you so much to Richard for sharing with us how cool fruit flies actually are and how they contribute so valuably to epilepsy research. Make sure you tune in next week to hear about what has been discovered through Richard's epilepsy research and do check out the fly facility at Manchester University. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.